Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today has been on recently on episode number 234. It's Brant Best. Brant, welcome back to the podcast. Great to be on, Brenton. Last time we spoke about some things that amateur swimmers could take away from elite swimmers because your experience is in working with swimmers at the, the top end or those that are looking to reach the top end. And so we covered some really good topics on that episode. And on today's episode, I want to talk about some, some similar things and just get some learnings that, that you've come across over the last couple of weeks and months with working with some of those elite athletes or those that are looking to make the, hopefully the Olympic team in 2028 and we'll talk a bit more about that but i think there's a lot that we can learn from you and the athletes you're working with so i want to dig deep into some of these topics so we might kick it off with you mentioned you've been in canberra recently on a on a camp there do you want to talk a bit about what you were doing who you were working with and what were some of the things that you were looking to uncover there yeah absolutely so i was lucky enough to be asked to lead a camp with swimming australia where we basically have worked out the it's obvious really that the more depth we have that the better they're going to be performing on an international stage, putting pressure on the guys at the top, but also bringing the next run through and not waiting in, until 25, 26, 27 to get that happening. So we're we're jumping early on that and getting our best young guys that are targeting for that, that meet and a little bit before that, hopefully, to to give them the skills and the and the understanding of what it takes us from 100 metres freestyle at an elite level and jumping them from an age understanding to an, to an open understanding. So that was the premise of it and, and giving them and their coaches an understanding and an education really about what it takes uh, we had most of the coaches there as well which we were, we were very very lucky to have because if you can't make a change if you can make a change with an athlete but you can't make a change with the coach then you can't make a difference so that was the initiative and then we basically spent the week telling them teaching them how to race their race and technical aspects when to apply power when to put your stroke rate on when to sort of drive with your legs and some skill-based relay skill applications as well now someone might hear that and go we're teaching them how to swim 100 freestyle. They might hear that and go, well, it's just up and back. Just go mm-hmm. fast. Yeah. But there's a lot more to it than that. Do you want to go, and, go into some of the, the, yes. the details there of how to swim a good 100 freestyle Absolutely. at the, the elite level? It's a bit misunderstood, I think. From my point of view, we, we look at, we call the 100 freestyle a sprint, but really isn't a sprint at all. From my point of view, it's, we spend longer swimming the 100 freestyle than a 400-meter runner does on the track. And you look at a 400-meter on the track and most of the best in the world seem to accelerate sort of into the last bend. I'm no athletics coach, but I watch them and I watch other sports for, for leads into what it takes to do well in swimming. And they're definitely not sprinting from the start and they're a long way from it. In fact, to, from a novice's point of view, it almost looks like they're, they're doing a high-level jog around the first 100 metres. So I relate that back to our, our swimming and look at the effort that's put into the first 25 metres and I see that a lot of swimmers and a lot of, a lot of men and, and the up-and-coming swimmers get after it early and hurt a lot late. And then what we're really looking for is a fairly even and level velocity through the race and we get a fairly big drop-off, especially in their age group swimmers who don't understand who get after it early. So early in the race, we want a lot of control because later in the race, we want to come back fast and not lose our velocity. But that's as simple as I can put it. The intricacies around that, and I put it very simply because I like to put it simply because I've got a simple brain and I need to think of it like that. And our athletes need to hear things simply, but there's a lot more sort of complications around it. But if we can come home faster, then we're going to produce a faster race. We're seeing the best in the world. 
come back quickly and we're seeing at 75 metres when the, when the whips are cracking, then the last 25 metres is where the best in the world have come through over the last 10 years or so. So we, there's a lot of talk about the back end and how important it is to train the back end. We're looking at how the front end affects the back end specifically on this camp. This episode of the podcast is proudly brought to you by our sponsor, Form Goggles. They're more than a pair of goggles. Meet the world's most powerful swim platform. See yourself improve with Form Smart Swim Goggles, including a free one-year membership when you purchase your goggles for only $228. US Now, they've currently changed up their offer where you can now get the goggles and you have that one-year membership included for free. And then if you'd like to continue with the membership going forwards, it's only $15 US a month where you get access to their workouts, training plans, and their custom workout builder. But you'll always have access to the real-time data of the goggles so you'll never lose access to that. So if you'd like to swim without stopping to look at a pace clock or your watch and get live metrics right inside your goggles, including your time, distance, pace, they are right there in your goggles with form goggles. I've used these for over 12 months now, and I'm a huge fan of these goggles and use them for a majority of my sessions and find them very helpful, especially for gauging my time, my effort, and my pace. And I think it's a very helpful tool for the majority of swimmers that I would normally work with. To get your pair of form goggles and save 15% off, use our link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon effortless at checkout. And that will get you 15% off your pair of form goggles using our special link formswim.com forward slash effortless or use the coupon code effortless at checkout. And do you see Carl Chalmers being one of the best at that? Because from the racing that I've seen, he does. It's he, He's very good in that last 25. Oh, Carl's a beast, yeah, especially in the back end of his race. He's got good physiology for that. He's obviously got good speed, but also good control early in the race. So he's able to focus on the last 25 metres where he, where he it looks like he's accelerating. The truth of it is he's not accelerating. He's just decelerating at less of a rate than everybody else is decelerating. So it makes it look like he's taking off. His effort is higher than earlier in the race, but his velocity still isn't quite what it was at the beginning, which is also misunderstood about the 100. So his ability to control with good technique at the beginning of the race, swim with some softness, is, is absolutely what Kyle's all about. Now, you mentioned softness there. Do you want to talk about what you mean by, by softness? And I want to sort of preface this with, had a swimmer email me this morning. He's sort of struggling to go beyond that 100 metres without feeling totally, totally gassed. And in his email, something he mentioned was, for the first 25, like I feel good. I feel lots of power in my in my catch and my pull. And I had to ask him, I've, got, I've asked him an, another question, which I'm waiting for him to reply. I'm asking you, how much effort are you putting into that, that catch and pull? Because if every stroke is like a, a maximum effort each one, that is not sustainable, no matter how, how good you are. So when you talk about softness, what are you talking about there? Well, I think that... The, and if we're talking about myths and misconceptions, I think the, the myth is that the maximum amount of power you put on the water and, and also the maximum tension is going to produce the maximum speed. And that's we know that's not the case. Look, it might be the case over 15 metres. We're even finding that's not the case, even over shorter distances like that. But if you have maximum tension, you, I can't stand here and hold my fist closed at maximum tension for 47, 48 seconds without getting very, very tired and, and running out of juice in my shoulders and and in my hands, these guys have got their physiological range of, of responses happening and they're trying to do that from the start. So for me, the tension needs to be optimal rather than maximal. And then when we're looking at extend, extending that across and your swimmer might be going a minute or a minute 10 or even 55 seconds, or even if he's very, very good at going 50 seconds, you can't hold maximum tension 
you can't probably even hold eight or nine out of ten tension for that amount of time. So you've got to find the right amount of tension in your hands to extend across the race. So obviously we don't want to have zero out of ten. Did a did something recently with a with a team where we dropped their tension to about six or seven, and they were only point two slower over twenty five meters because they were setting better body position. They had a better length of stroke because they traveled better because they weren't gripping and switching off their, their deeper controlling muscles. They are able to access better muscles in their core when they've got a little bit of control. Their strength, their stroke length increases. Their stroke rate holds on as well. So the, the basics of, of your technique are maintained and probably enhanced by finding that optimal level of control through the first part of your race. It's a long answer to a short question, but that's what I mean by softness. It's not complete softness, but it's just finding and testing out what the optimal range is. So with that, when we're doing this exercise, whether it be on a, on a clinic with some in Queensland or where one of these camps with some in Australia, we're finding out what optimal is. For me, if a swimmer's swimming at 12 seconds through the first 25 and they're at maximal force and then they have a crack at one and they might be seven out of 10 and they're 0.2 slower, I'm happy with the 0.2 slower because we're going to gain much more than that on the back end of the race. Uh, we might gain a second on the second 50 and I'm happy to give up 0.2 of a second to gain, a sec- to gain one second on the back of the race. Mm-hmm. So it's just about finding where that sweet spot is to be able to come home at the speed that you want. And is this them judging their own force tension, like their perceived tension? Yeah, it, is. it is. And it's hard to judge and it is a trial and error. I spent some time with one of our very good clubs in Brisbane yesterday working this out, just going through repeat 30-metre sprints yesterday. Caught them sprints because we started going, they tried to go very hard at the beginning and we found that they went equally hard, if not faster, a little bit lighter. So it is a trial and error thing. We'd like to be able to quantify it as close closely as we can. We're, we're finding out with our, with our swim better devices that we're working out that peak forces aren't exactly what we're after if we're going to get peak speeds as well. What we're also finding is that the, the peak forces that we're, that we're seeing when there's maximal application, we get higher peaks, but we don't get the, the width of impulse. So when we're looking at our force versus time curve, which is my go-to, which I, I love looking at, we want to get as maximum volume under the, under the curve as we can. When I'm looking at the swimmers that are putting maximal force and we're getting really high peaks, but we're also getting gaps in force through the middle of the through the middle of the stroke, which are easily identified and quantified, and honestly, so far when the athletes look at it, they can't believe what's going on. And it's not a question as to whether they are or they aren't losing force. They can see where it is and they can fix it a lot more quickly, and they buy in a whole lot more quickly, which I think is is super important mm. when we're trying to sell this concept to our athletes. So again, going going a little bit deeper than the question asked, mate. But yeah, quantifying that is massively important. Mm. That, uh, I want to dig into that a little bit more. So we're talking about the EO Swim Better devices, which are force measuring devices that you can wear on your hand when you swim. And a lot of the uh, clients that I work with in the stroke analysis coaching where they send me their videos and I give them an analysis, I give them certain things to focus on with specific drills. Those that have those devices are sending me their data. Yes. And it's it's very interesting just to see what we're seeing in the video. How does that come out with these devices? And there's a number of different things that we can look at there's a few different screens and one that you were talking about there was the force over time where we're looking at the how much force is applied in a stroke through the different parts of it and as you said there if they're going at maximum force you get this big peak and then it drops off but we're better off just making that force applied for for longer and have less of a peak just so you can have more area under that 
that curve, which is which is really interesting. It, it really interesting. And before you could never you'd never really be able to to measure that at all. But this is putting numbers to something as coaches. I think we have known and we know we want to do it, but we've never been able to actually see that properly. Yes. That was a lot of what Cam was all about for, for us was almost selling the idea that maximum force does not equal maximum speed and you're going to dive badly and you're just not going to be able to finish your hundred. And that was a that was a very cool part of it. But we were using just times and stroke rates and perceived exertion, but adding the element of actually having the proof in front of them. And we can use video as much as we want, but swimmers like to fight. They're in a race and they're competitive and they, they want to rip and tear. And it, you know, you, you, for me, you look at the best swimmers in the world, you stand back and very rarely do you say, gee, they're making that look hard. <laughs> um, yeah. the, these devices prove that that level of hardness is not the best way to produce swimming speed. And when you get, when you get your head, wrap your head around that, then you can go lighter, faster, earlier in the race and continue speed and beat the people who are trying to rip and tear. It's a massive, massive switch. We've known it um, sort of at a high level. We've had a gut for it. I'm trying to convince a big, strong 100-metre guy who you know, all he wants to do is beat his chest and, and, and rip and tear and do 150 chin-ups and, and bring press a, a million kilograms and to tell them to soften up to go quicker. But as you said, this device proves what we've been saying to the better athletes. It just gets a message across so much quicker. Because if we can't sell it, it doesn't matter how good our info is or how good our gut is. If they won't buy it and they won't buy into it, then when our back is turned, they're going to rip and tear and they're going to you know, pick it up like it's a, like they're picking up their dumbbells and, and, and rip in like they do in the gym, which is also probably not ideal either for the best athletic body. So there, there's a parallel there as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you get a bunch of 16, 17, 18-year-old guys in you know, in, a, in one place together all at the top of their game competing for the same spots in the next couple of years as they lead into the these olympics and you you will get that sort of energy level where where they are wanting to just you know, go as hard and as fast as they they can but if you look at someone like david popovich who he's not muscularly he's not he's, he's not that big he's uh, he's got a good physique for swimming, but he he I think exudes that that softness on the water when you watch him swim. Just great control, incredible feel for the water, and just incredible distance per stroke as well. And you can just see that that is that is what we want. That's what's going to make you make you faster. Absolutely. I, I, one thing that isn't talked about with David with regards to his swimming is the amount of trust he has in to be able to do that because it would be easy just just to want to get after it. But like I haven't spoken to his coach about it, but he's absolutely sold that this is the best way to swim 100, but only because he's done the work and he's had that proven to him time and time again that he trusts that enough. And I, I think we misunderstand that. We, we don't do enough of that to sell the athlete. We say, oh, this is the way to do it, and we expect them to buy into it. And it's against instinct. They do want to get after each other. It was a challenge in Canberra when we got eight good boys up against each other, and very similar to the environment that when we get eight good boys up against each other, when we get into whether it be a national championship or a state championship or an Olympic Games, they want to beat their chest and get after it. James Magnuson struggled with that internationally because he's such a competitor. All he wanted to do was go. And even though our training and his gut set to control, the adrenaline was, was hard for him to control. He bought into it really, really well. So it, it's a challenge for all of our guys. So to have a device that proves it, rather than for them to say, oh, just trust me, mate. Hmm. It's just another level that, that I really wish that I had when I was coaching because I think that potentially might have won a few, even a few more races 
and maybe a couple of critical ones. You have that evidence in front of, of him, hey, you don't need to go that hard, mate, to go fast. And let everybody else get after it and you can have a little bit more control. Yeah, I've been, the clients that I've been working with who have sent through their data, one comes to mind. So he was, when I looked at his average force yeah. per stroke, he was he was quite high. Now it was, he was up around, it was like averaging 2.8 to 2.8. Nine with each each stroke, and when yep. I look at when I look at my own, if I'm swimming at like a two to four hundred meter effort, it's generally anywhere from about two to two point seven, mm. and and yet so I, and I'm swimming about almost twice as fast as this athlete that I was that I was working with, and so first of all to me that just says all right you're probably just putting too much force on the water so let's let's just back that off let's really ease off that and the other thing we were looking at was the direction of the forces and there was a lot of upward force and we see in the back of his stroke that he was finishing quite deep at the at the back and so rather than pressing back and exiting past the hip which would moving forwards really well he was coming upwards which would sends the hips down and it's just not helping you you go forward. So they're two things that we've well, that we're working on now from seeing that that data, which I wouldn't have known about the force that I, I could not have told you and said, yeah, he's he's just really going hard each stroke that I, I couldn't really distinguish compared to someone else. And but the back part I, I certainly knew, but to see the percentage of his stroke that was upward forces, which was about 5%, and we really want that to be less than 1%, that was good to have that quantified. And a similar thing, just I think you get a lot more buy-in that way. You make, you make a good point on the forces because we're seeing that with, a, with quite a few that our total force is very high. But then when you get a propulsive forces, for some of them, especially the ones that want to grip, it's a much lower percentage. So they feel like they're holding a lot of water, which they actually are, but it's not sending them in the right direction. And uh, it's misunderstood by them that they, they feel like they've got all that power and pressure on the water, which they have. It's not sending them forward. And it's wasted energy, and it's energy that you're never going to get back. You've only got a certain bucket of, of energy. And your brain and your, your muscular system only have a certain amount of energy to, to put out. And if you waste it early, you're not going to have it at the end. And having it at the end when you're more fatigued, you, know, you, you can control more of it at the beginning of your race, and you might lose that point too. But once you're gone, you're gone. You've got no balance on the water. You've got no control on the water. Your brain is sending signals that you've got to stop and you need to get more air in. Lactate is going through the roof. All your systems are failing because you put in too much force in the beginning. And if it's gone in the wrong direction, then you've just thrown it out the window and your race is gone. So this is the evolution of the 100 freestyle. We've seen Pogovici do it. We've seen a few more do it. But if we're reaching into having more athletes going to the 46 and, and all the way down through to age groupers and getting into making 49 a common thing, then it's going to not be because we're producing greater forces, producing smarter force, and then spreading it across the race and understanding it. I'm still trying to understand it because force is only, you know, I've been able to measure it for six months of my coaching career, which has been like 33 years now. So still learning how to use it, but the, the, the data we're seeing is guiding us into some some really good and interesting understandings with our coaches here, especially in Queensland. Mm, it's interesting you say that. I'm finding this, the same thing because it's only the last couple of months I've been using it with some of the athletes I'm working with. And I first one, it's like I don't know exactly how to use this and use this in a way where I can come up with a, a plan to let's make changes to your stroke this way just off the bat the first one was was a bit of a challenge but now i'm starting to do it with more people we're starting to see what those results are we're we're getting better ideas of what the what the data means so it is it's all it's all quite new but 
the last couple of months that have been doing it, it's becoming clearer and clearer of, okay, what's, what's the important stuff here? What is it that we should be focusing on? Because there's so much data there that if you try and read into all of it, you're probably going to be confused and do nothing with it. Yeah. So let's, you know, how do we keep it simple and choose one or two things? Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.